0: You do a lot of talking bro you do a lot of talking all that screaming well you better hope you can play as long as me hey when you get on your knees and say your prayers tonight
1: pray what happened between you and talib on the field early in the game i don't know you're gonna ask him because he didn't finish the game ice up son ice up
0: live in the entertainment capital of the world It's the T.C. Martin Show. I know you're going to dig this. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C.
2: Martin. I wish I was 50 years younger and I'd kick your ass. The
0: doctor is
1: now here. Yeah, boy. Why you want to hear this? And a good Monday to you as we recap a very, very busy Las Vegas sports weekend here. Raiders open up Allegiant Stadium with fans in the stands. And then we had the Las Vegas Aces resume after a five week hiatus. And what an amazing comeback victory for the Aces yesterday. 21 point deficit. And they come back and they win uh, the largest comeback in franchise history. So, a lot to cover on the show today. And a stellar guest lineup on tap for you as well, too. Uh, You will hear from Mark Davis, the owner of the Raiders and the Aces, who had himself a glorious time on Saturday night uh, going through the ceremony, uh, like a second ribbon-cutting ceremony on Saturday night, seeing the Raiders uh, perform at Allegiant Stadium the first time he got to be inside Allegiant Stadium for a Raiders game because, as you know, he took that oath. Uh, along with all the other fans last year, saying, hey, I will not attend a Raiders home game until we can have all the season ticket holders or at least everyone you know, in the building. So that was his first game on Saturday night. So uh, you get to hear from Mark Davis. Got a chance to talk with him yesterday at the Aces game, uh, halftime guest uh, for me yesterday. So we will replay that interview for you as well, too. And speaking of the Aces, uh, Chelsea Gray and Asia Wilson. The two Olympic gold medalists from the women's basketball team, uh, getting their seventh consecutive gold medal, the 55-game winning streak. So uh, you'll hear from Asia Wilson and Chelsea Gray, and both of those uh, performers were outstanding yesterday in the fourth-quarter comeback for the Aces. And our good friend Mike Pritchard. It's football season, as we know, and Pritch is going to be joining us on a pretty regular basis, like uh, he has in years past. And uh, Pritch. Uh, Doing his thing with Raider Nation Radio as well as uh, Veasan, so he will join us today, and we'll get his thoughts on the Raiders' victory on Saturday night, as well as uh, a look ahead to the Raiders' rest of the preseason and the regular season. All right, so busy time. Um, We got some good TV viewing as well. We got, uh, you know, Nico Ali Walsh. You know, won his his bout on Saturday night in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So. A lot to cover. So, T.C. Martin Ballpark, Frank Numbchuck here on this
2: Monday. And uh, what you got going there, Frank? Well, the, the Nico Ali walsh fight was interesting because watching it, it, it all the talk was about him. Yeah. I mean, the main event, which was a rematch of a fight that, you know, was pretty controversial. It's like it was all about Nico and Muhammad Ali and his grandfather and, you know, the tattoo on his arm and wearing the shorts that Muhammad gave him when he was young and actually worn was it 60 or 61, and you 1960, know, said, yeah, the yeah, Olympics,
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah, said
2: that he was going to wear those, and then he retired them after the fight. And, you know, uh, a, a lot of hoopla for the young man out there. And uh, he, he looked well. I, I thought he looked uh, a little bit wild, but he got the finish in the fight. But, you know, and, and he was fighting somebody that he was supposed to beat. And, you know, he, he, he certainly handled it well. And thought it was interesting after the fight, too, when he basically said, right now they're just trying to keep everything totally simple for him. And he only used the jab and the right because that's what they told him to do. So they're definitely definitely um going to implement more and more into his game plan but uh I thought that was interesting and you know then watch uh you know me I was watching a lot of the tennis and then uh you know because the Rogers Cup which is always an interesting tournament to me because the men and women they both play in Canada but one group plays in Montreal one plays in Toronto and they switch it off every year so and, you know, then Australian rules football and, and all sorts of other stuff as well. A lot of baseball, too. And and then, of course, a lot of football as well. And, you know, it, it's funny because I, I have people telling me, it's like, hey, you know, Justin Fields looked pretty good for the Bears and this one look good. And it's like, mm. it's game one of preseason, you know. <laughs> it's It means about as much as Nico Ali Walsh's fight did. Yes. It was a nice start to something. Yes. But please do not be pinning the careers of anybody on what you saw this first weekend of preseason football.
1: Yeah, no question. And that was... uh. You know, at the forefront of the Raiders game against the Seahawks, because when you look at that game, I mean, you had no starters, no relevant starters at the skill positions. I'll say that because you had your offensive linemen in there, and you had a good portion of of your defensive linemen that uh, you know got the first couple series in, in played. But from a skill position set, when you look at the Raiders, they had no Derek Carr, you had no Josh Jacobs. I don't even think Alec Ingold, you know, got much playing time. He definitely didn't get a, a, a carry. Uh, no Henry Ruggs. No Darren Waller. Uh, you know, no other re- receivers. And again, the Seahawks had the exact same thing. I mean, no Russell Wilson. I mean, you're basically starting two third string quarterbacks in that game for the Raiders and the Seahawks. But you know, that game was about. The pomp and circumstance that was about the stadium and the celebration and uh, the Raiders. I think they 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 passed the test uh, with flying colors. Now I know there's going to be a lot of people, including myself, that will say, "Well, you know, they need to work out some things with the stadium as far as the parking situation and concessions and all that." But that is natural when you have a, a stadium, you know, going through. It's dry run. It's first rehearsal, at least from a football perspective. You know when you have you know fifty thousand plus fans, and I think you know two, a lot of people are thinking, okay, it's sixty five thousand, you know, season ticket holders. Well, there were not sixty five thousand, so I want to clarify that the actual attendance of that game was fifty thousand one hundred, and uh, it still looked very full. I will give the fans credit; they stayed pretty much to the end of the game. I mean, it did you know empty out a little bit you know, towards uh, the end of the third quarter and the fourth quarter. But the fans were there to to pay homage to the Raiders. They wanted to, you know, be in the stadium, be in the moment. And it was a pretty glorious night, you know, for the Raiders in Allegiant Stadium.
2: And and I, from what, what I saw on TV a little bit and just knowing how people are, it seemed like a lot of people, not that they don't walk around games anyhow, because we talked about that. I'm somebody, if I go to a game, I sit in my seat and I watch the game. I know a lot of people like to mosey around. We talked about it, the field of dreams. Mm. But in this particular game, it seems like even more people, everybody wanted to check out the stadium. Some of them might have seen it during a UNLV game last year or something when there was very limited fans. Some of them might have taken the tour, but even taking the tour isn't the same as when there's an event going on and the Raiders are on and the flame is lit and all the pomp and circumstance and, oh, there's where Santana's going to be performing and this, that, and the other stuff. So so there was a lot of other things, but it seemed like as much as, like you said, people wanted to pay homage to the Raiders and see a football game in there, they wanted to see Allegiant Stadium, a.k.a. the Death Star, as a lot of people are calling it. So, uh, you know, and, and that seemed to be... Almost as big a draw as the game itself in this particular case. Now, once the regular season games start and they start counting, that'll be different. But for this game, it seemed like a lot of people, and also a lot of people, like you mentioned, because season ticket holders, they pay the same prices. This might have been, well, in fact, I'm not going to say might have been. This was the cheapest game that you're going to be able to buy a ticket for this entire season. Yeah, no question. And I know several season ticket holders that
1: did not go to the game. They either gave their tickets away or they sold them to other people. And again, when you get people at any preseason game, doesn't matter what stadium, a good majority of those fans are either first-timers or they're not going to be going to many regular season games. And, uh, you know, that that's just the, the, the nature of the beast, you know, with that. And I think that was in effect, um, you know, for, for Saturday night. But Allegiant Stadium, you know, w- played nice. It was – they did a very good job. I know Mark Davis was very, very happy. And you'll hear from him, uh, you know, next hour uh, we're going to take this hour basically and talk Raiders. Second hour, we'll be touching upon uh, the Aces and kind of you know combo the two together because this was a very big Las Vegas sports weekend, especially with the Raiders and the Aces. And it really is it, is, it was a historic weekend. It was historic in the sense for the Raiders because this is the first time that fans got a chance to attend Allegiant Stadium, and that's why you had all of uh, you know you had Marie Osmond singing the national anthem, you had Judith Hill you know doing the the ceremony just like she did uh at the groundbreaking ceremony going back 3 years ago and so she performed an opening ceremony song and then like you mentioned Carlos Santana uh performing at halftime who was outstanding you
2: know by the way and And he wasn't on the field or something, right? They had him set up up there by the torch and that. Which, to me, you know what? That makes more sense to me because you don't have to rush something out there, throw it together, Mm -hmm. wonder how the sound quality is and that kind of stuff, worried about ripping up the field and then tanking it back off. Put him in a place where everybody can see it, you know, ahead of time a little bit. With all the TV monitors and everything, it's still going to look bigger than life and let him jam there. I think, you know, from that aspect, that's one thing I think that the Raiders did in that game that is better than almost every other team does because they always want to put them on the 50 yard line and then they're trying to rush them on and off and build the 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 phony little right. stage and everything just
1: make the stage yeah it's funny you bring that up because i was thinking that exact same thing when we were talking last week about you know Carl Santana's going to be performing at halftime going wait a minute and this can't be like a Super Bowl where we're going to have a 40- 40 to 45-minute halftime because you know, the NFL isn't going to allow that for a preseason game. They wouldn't allow that for a regular season game. So how is this going to play? And so when halftime came, I was thinking, well, you know, I kind of want to you know, go get something to eat. But then again, I do want to see Santana and see how they play this off. And then I saw no no one running on the field at the end of the second quarter. So I'm going, okay. And... I noticed they showed up on the the Jumbotron there that there was a band playing, like you mentioned, over by where the flame is and that sort of thing. They have have a stage. I didn't make it over to that part, so I just had to basically look at it from a distance or look at the the scoreboard, the Jumbotron, and I said, okay, so that's where Santana's playing. And you're right. It came across great, and we had a normal halftime, and Mark Davis said, you know, Carlos really didn't get to play that long. He goes, but, I mean, just think. He's not going to get the chance to play that long anyway if you build a stage or you know bring the portable stage. He'll and get take, even less time to play. And take 15 minutes to set that thing up. Exactly.
2: Yeah, he'll get way less time yeah, to but play. I, but I liked
1: it. I, I, I enjoyed it. And again, I didn't get a chance to actually see the size of the stage. But he was amongst the crowd in a concession area over there by the flame, over there on the concourse behind the end zone. But it, it, it sounded good. And, uh, and, and it looked good from a distance.
2: And I'll tell you the other thing, too. The Raiders have just really set the bar high for themselves. If Carlos Santana is your halftime performer for the first preseason game, who are you getting for the nine regular season games? Right. And and then if you do it on the playoffs, which is way down the road. But, you know, I mean, it's like because I believe they have nine home games, correct? Yeah. Right. So, I mean, Carlos Santana is a pretty high bar to go to.
1: I don't think that they're going to have any halftime uh, activities. I think this is just a one-off yeah, because because it was the they the got first stage time. Up. They got, got the sound ready to now, roll. Now, now you should have the home opener though. You're right. They should have somebody, and who are you going to get for that? But it's going to have to be the exact same situation. And I'm telling you, I, I like that band. I don't know who the band was because they didn't even get an introduction. Who was playing, like you know, during the timeouts? I'm going. This is this guys are pretty cool. They, this is a good sound. I would hope they would have something like that instead of just the piped in, you know, hip hop that they play, you know, most of the time. Because during warm ups, that's exactly what we had. Right. And they didn't really go to the to the band stuff until you know, a couple game timeouts. I'm going, okay, this is, I like the vibe of this. This is pretty cool. So good point. It'll be interesting to see. But if they did this much hype for the first exhibition game, and I get it, first time fans are going to be in the stands. You have to really kick it up a notch for the first regular season game because that's the one that really people are going to embrace more so an exhibition
2: game. Well, and, but here's the other part of it too. When you do something like this with everybody that comes to Vegas that does residencies or they're coming up in a future concert and that kind of stuff, they get up there, you know, they play 10 or 12 minutes, like you say, because they don't have that much time to play. They plug the heck out of where they're playing at, where they're going to be, where you can get the tickets and everything else. It's a big commercial for them, and then they're part of the event. I mean, it's literally a win-win for everybody. And with all the casinos and everything else that sponsor the Raiders and have the luxury boxes and everything else, I mean, they literally can hand-pick who's there on a game-to-game basis. And, you know, I'm sure that the bands, I'm sure Carlos Santana got something, But I'm sure they could also work it out to have wherever he's doing the residence or something like that to even pay it. It probably wouldn't cost them that much or whatever to do it. And it's a cool thing if you have live music after. And again, I don't know that they're going to. But once they've started it in this town with all the talent around town, why wouldn't you? Yeah. And the reason why
1: you had Carlos Santana and Marie Osmond and Judith Hill yesterday Were because of the relationships with Mark Davis. Now he is friends with all three of those, so he got them to play. And I didn't want to ask him if you know Carlos Santana got paid for this or not. And I I didn't I didn't feel comfortable asking him that because he kept saying, "Hey, you know Carlos did this as a favor. He's a friend. He's been you know uh, you know coming to Raider games in Oakland forever and ever. Uh, And again, he's got a place here in Las Vegas. He lives here, and uh, he's just part of the Raider Nation." Carlos Santana may have played for free last night. He might, or have. Mark Davis, you know, you know, gave him gave him something. You know, he didn't get his normal quote. You know, we know that, but I'm sure he wanted to take care of his bandmates and that sort of thing. So uh, he probably got paid something. But this wasn't like you're booking a concert you know, like you're going to get for uh, a regular concert to venue date or an event or even a Super Bowl, that matter. Now, the well, Super yeah, Bowl is different because, you know, again, they're there to promote it and the networks are promoting it, the league's promoting it, and there's a lot of residual effect that you get for performing in a Super Bowl. This seemed more like just a favor to Mark Davis.
2: Yeah, it's not like when the Stones are coming to town and they're getting a million dollars to play at a <laughs> Legion stadium. That's correct. Carlos Santana gets a nice paycheck. He also does love to jam. And, yeah, maybe, maybe just the friendship and everything else is enough out there for it. You know, and if he did get something, cool, he's, he's earned it. And if not, he has the right to, uh, you know, do a favor for his friend or whatever, too. But with the relationships Mark Davis has and with the capability now that they know that that stage and everything is already there, that they can put it together really quick or whatever, it seems like kind of a cool trend to start if they could do it. And it seems to me that, again— With all the hotels and all the residencies and everything else in town that a lot of these venues would be saying, we'll send so-and-so over. For crying out loud, when I was over at Lotus Broadcasting, Comp 92.3, we used to do lobby concerts. The acts that were playing in a lot of these places, you know, Queensryche and some other decent-sized bands and things like that, they would come and do a little show in the lobby of the station over there for like 20 people or whatever that got a free invite. And they'd come in and they'd play some acoustic and answer questions from the DJ. Now, I know they weren't getting paid big. If they're they're agreeing to do something like that, I can't imagine a lot of acts not saying, oh, 65,000 people at the new Allegiant Stadium. We play for 10 minutes, then we walk around and we get to watch the football game and whatever else, getting the luxury suite or whatever. I would think that they'd have a pretty good list of people willing to say, yeah, I'm in.
1: Well, that's been happening here for a while, too, with the national anthems, as you know. I mean, the national anthem singers don't get paid. And you look at the Aces, you know, from the inception, most of their anthem singers and their halftime performers were all correlated to the shows here in Vegas. And the halftime shows were all Cirque du Soleil. You know, we'd see the, the MJ1. You would see, you know, uh, Beatles Love. You'd see all that. And they would come. And because that's in the house of their property there at the MGM properties and you're promoting that and you're promoting ticket sales and every one of those games, the aces would give away tickets as well too. So that kind of promotion has been going for, for a long time. Will that, you know, happen with the with the Raiders at Allegiant Stadium again. You have such a small window, but I guarantee you, you're right about the national anthem singers. You're going to be seeing the who's who come to sing the national anthem at Raider games.
2: And remember, the Vegas Golden Knights were going to do that until they discovered Carnell Johnson, aka Golden Pipes, good friend of ours, and he was so damn good that they went, "Wait, we don't have to search around anymore." Now, if the Killers come to town or Imagine Dragons or, you know, somebody else comes in, he might get bumped from a certain day or whatever and said, hey, you're not singing the anthem tonight. But, but, you know, they found the one guy that stuck that the fans loved in that kind of stuff. When you have seven, eight, or nine home games, and I'm going to say that many because it could be nine this year, it could be eight, and Mm -hmm. if you're one of those teams that has to travel to Europe or something, maybe you only get seven home games. But when you have that in there... You're not looking for one guy to do it. You want each one to be special. Right. You talk about Las
1: Vegas residencies. Uh, this is at a time now where you know people have missed the entertainment for, for a year plus, and the residencies just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Here's just a list of some of the residencies here in Vegas. Uh, Kiss, Backstreet Boys, Pitbull, Santana. Boys to Men, Gwen Stefani, Cher, Barry Manilow, Journey, Rod Stewart, Keith Urban, Shania Twain, Bruno Mars, (laughs) Billy Idol, Usher, um, Morrissey, uh, Scorpions, ZZ Top, uh, Luke Bryan, Celine Dion, Katy Perry, um, Foreigner, Let's go. Kind of, kind of on and on. That's not. That's not like a Hall of Fame list. Well, absolutely. these are
2: residencies in Vegas. And and look at how eclectic. Oh, that and don't list forget, is. Earth Wind and Fire is coming in November. Yeah, and, and look at how eclectic that eclectic that list is. as yes. well. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's no, and and that's what I'm saying. And I'm sure that you know whether they're tied in with MGM properties or you know whatever they are, you know there's a lot of them there, and that's a great promotional tool. Yeah. And when you consider too that okay, the first game we know is a Thursday night game. Or, I mean, uh, it, it, it's the night game, the Monday night game. I'm sorry, not Thursday. Right. They don't open the season. But most of these games are going to be early afternoon or something like that. They could easily go perform there and then go do their show that night. Oh, that's, or, 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 that's natural, yeah, sure. Or with a yeah. residency, it, they could just have a dark night that night and just right. kind of kick back and watch the game and do whatever they want to. Mm-hmm. That's why a lot of these bands come out and do, come out here and do the residencies. Mm-hmm. And they have them at they have them at the park. They have them at all the casinos. They have them at well now the Virgin used to be the Hard Rock. I've seen you know that's where I saw Journey do a Residence before. That's where you know there's so many of them out here. And even with that list there, I guarantee there's more. And there's certainly more in the works. And a lot of them, when you mention share and people like that, they come around. They do a residency, then they take a uh, six months off, then they do another residency or whatever for two months, three months, whatever. So. There's so much of that now because they found out, okay, we're not going to get, like, the Rolling Stones million dollars a night, but we can be in the same place, sleep in our own beds or the room that they're comping them or suite or whatever there, get all the services and everything, and not have to go anywhere. The world literally comes to them. Instead of them going on tour, the world goes on tour to come see them. People from the Midwest, from the East Coast, from California – in Journey's case from the Philippines or whatever. They come to Vegas to see them.
1: Yeah, no, the residency was just an ingenious uh you know conception. It John, really John Fogarty's I mean, not on that list fantastic. there.
2: I know he's performing at the win again. Yeah, yeah. And and, and right. if you like Credence and his stories in that, he's I've seen that show. Yeah. For me, that was a great show. Yeah.
1: Yeah, no question. No question. And like you said, it's it's such a Eclectic, a crossover list uh, as well too. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, Vegas has been doing this for a while with you know sports and entertainment and 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 promoting that uh, you know crossover like that. So we'll see you know more and more of that, no doubt about it. All right, so yeah, good experience Saturday night, Allegiant Stadium, uh, the opening again, fifty thousand fans actually in attendance. And remember, this is the only exhibition game you know Saturday night. That's it. So the Raiders. Only have two more exhibition games. They're going to be down in LA this weekend, and then they go to San Francisco to play the 49ers, and that's it. So the next time the Raiders will be at home will be for that opener, like you said, against the Ravens. That's going to be very, very interesting, and it gives the Raiders, uh, you know, again, a full three weeks to get healthy, be ready. And uh into play. But yeah, so for, for Vegas fans, if you didn't get a chance to see them on Saturday night, you're gonna have to wait to the opener. Uh and that is gonna be some meaningful football.
2: Now. Although some people might travel to LA to see the Ram game. Oh, that's true. Yeah. No, speaking
1: of that, so the Rams and the Chargers played on Saturday night as well. And that was the opener for SoFi Stadium. Same type of thing. So SoFi opened last year, Allegiant Stadium opened, both to no fans at all. Right. So What do you think the attendance was at SoFi Stadium for the Chargers and the Rams, who both share that stadium
2: for last Saturday night? Well, from your tone, I'm guessing not very much. Really? Am I I giving it away? (laughs) You're you're kind of making it sound like, do you believe how few fans showed up for the two L.A. teams? Well, I'm
1: I'm not trying to do that. (laughs) I think I'm I'm trying to be as, uh, let's see, uh, straight in the middle as possible. So I'm not trying to give anything away with that. Um, was I surprised when I saw the number? A little bit. So what was first off? What does it hold? So far it's like eighty thousand. Okay. Yeah. So bigger was, than a legion. It, it's bigger than a legion, exactly. And there's a lot of pomp and circumstance, you know, with these two teams. But let's keep in mind, you got the Rams who have never really drawn great. Again, you know, they left. They went to St. Louis. Even before that, they were over in Anaheim. But the Rams have been good, you know, lately. You got a brand new multi-billion dollar stadium. And then we have the Chargers, who really no one cares about. And the Chargers couldn't even fill up the place in Carson where they were playing the last the couple seasons. The soccer stadium, the Home it, it, Depot Center yeah, or whatever yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. it's gone through a myriad of different names, exactly. You know, the tennis center, the soccer stadium, you know, the boxing venue there in Carson and co- crossed uh, you know, the street where they housed the blimp. So uh, anyway, but they played on Saturday night. A real barn burner. I think it was, uh, what, final score was
2: 13 to 6. How many fans do you think were there? Well, I'm I'm going to guess under 40,000 since you said it was, you know, it, it seats about 80, so yeah. not even half full maybe? 68,000. Oh, 68,000. So they actually had more people than Allegiant Stadium
1: did. Than Allegiant Stadium holds. Yeah, correct. Correct. They had 68,000 that were there. But the big story, the amount of fights that were in the stands there. Now, there were... I didn't see any fights at Allegiant Stadium, but they were throwing down. And I don't know if it was Rams versus Charger fans. I don't know if it was just L.A. knuckleheads that were beating up on each other. I I don't know what was going on, but there were an array of fights. And here you're going to open your stadium to that. That's your headline. That you had 68,000. That should be the headline. That you got pretty... Two pretty good football teams battling each other. But then again, you've got more of a uh, you know um, a legacy story with the Rams, and you've got this transplanted team that still should be in San Diego as far as probably you and I are both concerned. And As far as
2: I think pretty much almost everybody's exactly,
1: concerned. Exactly. But you did have 68,000, but the thing was marred by a myriad of fights.
2: Well, maybe they blew the, you know, that they didn't take advantage of their opportunity. <laughs> maybe the headline in the paper should have said, hopefully the teams on the field will show as much fight as the fans in the stands did in this game. Yeah. (laughs) But, I mean, you know, I don't understand all the fighting that goes on in games today in the stands and that sort of stuff. I never really have understood it. But it's it's a preseason game. But I also do find it interesting because you mentioned that the Raiders have games coming up against the Rams and then at San Fran. Right. And I remember when... Oakland was still in Oakland before they became the Las Vegas Raiders. When they had fights during those games with the Raiders and the 49er fans, and they said they weren't going to let those teams play each other again. Now that they're in Vegas, has that hatred and that animosity, has that subsided? Well, yeah, I think that'll never, that will nev- they'll never
1: take away that game because, again, that's been going on yeah. since the history of both teams in the Bay Area. That was always their signature game. Right, but that's game. what I'm saying. It yeah.
2: almost surprises me yeah. to see that that's their final preseason game because – are the people from Oakland still going to go across the bridge and go, well, they might, might not be playing here anymore, but they're still our team or something? Yeah. I, I'm curious to see what security in that is for that game.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Again, that's just been a long-staying tradition where it's been the final home game. It's, it, you know, again, they can drive to the stadium, take the buses, and that sort of thing. You got the two fan bases, so it does make it, you know, relatively interesting, usually for. You know, a preseason game that's really not interesting at all. So, uh, you know, when I, when I looked at the schedule and I saw that, I said, okay, they're going to continue the tradition there. And it makes total sense, too. Because remember, when you play these preseason games, you you don't want to travel. I mean, you don't want to have to go cross-country, you know, for this stuff. You want to keep it in close proximity. And that's why you usually see the same teams face each other every year. And again, they're usually not, you know, within the division because you're going to play those teams, you know, at least twice during the course of the regular season anyway. So you don't want to have a division opponents. So you get the guys, you know, the AFC team playing the NFC team that's relatively close. And that's why the Packers every year would we'd play the Bengals or they would play the Browns or they'd play the Titans. And you just have the the, the, the close travel. And usually the only time that's thrown out the window is if you have two teams that are playing in the Hall of Fame game in Canton or something like that. But for the most part, yeah. So, you know, Raiders, Niners still playing each other. Uh, yeah, they'll probably there'll they'll be some animosity there. There'll be some rowdy fans there. And for Oakland fans who are so disappointed that the Raiders moved to Vegas, this is their opportunity, too, to, you know, cheer on their team.
2: And it'll be interesting to see, are they still going to be 100% Cheering on the Raiders, or good question. Will they? Will some of them turn into the dreaded 49er fans? Yeah, <laughs> good,
1: good. All right, uh, we'll talk some more Raider football and the NFL preseason Week One. Mike Pritchard is going to join us, uh, the former wide receiver, the Las Vegas native. We'll talk to him, and then again next hour here from Mark Davis, Asia Wilson, Chelsea Gray, and uh, we talk Aces Raiders combo next hour. The TC Martin Show is back.
2: Yes. Yes. What are you
1: doing? It's just a halftime. Yes, this
2: is my favorite part of the game. T.C. Martin. Yes, in the face. The doctor is now in. In. All
1: right, Raiders and the Aces have very productive and successful weekends. We'll talk to Las Vegas Aces next hour. We start diving into the Raiders. We talked a little bit about the in-game experience uh, already. Now we talk about what we saw on the field. Raiders victorious over the Seattle Seahawks Saturday night, twenty to seven. Let's visit with our good friend, the former wide receiver, the Las Vegas native. Does a fantastic job as you know, Raider Nation Radio, and also on Veasan Mike Pritchard. Pritch, what's going on, brother?
0: Oh, man, I can't call it a good Monday here in Las Vegas. How you doing?
1: We're doing good, man. Uh, Frank and I are sitting there, and we're, we're talking about, uh, you know, the pomp and circumstance and all the, uh, you know, the activity we saw at Allegiant Stadium on Saturday night. So let's just start with that, uh, my friend. Uh, what was your take? Uh, we'll get to the game here in a minute, but your take about the the way the Raiders presented this and and the fans flocking into Allegiant Stadium for the first time? Incredible. First
0: class. Uh, The way that it should have been done, too, I mean, I I think all off-season, we've been talking about this, too, on Raider Nation Radio in terms of will there be, like, an announcement? Uh, Will there be, like, a social media presence in terms of, hey, welcome back, fans. You know, we we missed you last year or something like that. But uh, the Raiders didn't do that. What they did, though, was a ribbon-cutting. Even though we had football here in Las Vegas in the Legion Stadium last year, it really didn't feel like we had it here because there were no fans. And so I I think it was a perfect way welcome everybody to Elisa Stadium. Have a ribbon cutting, have Carlos Santana, I mean, have all this entertainment uh, and, and really showcase the fact that Vegas is entertaining the entertainment capital of the world and, and now we're going to display that with the with the Las Vegas Raiders, a uh, professional football team here in our city.
2: Mike, with the fact that there wasn't any fans in the stand last year and then you take it that this is the only preseason game they have and then they're going to get ready for that big Monday night opener, um, What do you think the Raiders learned from this and the fan base and everything else? Because, uh, you know, that's a pretty big step from preseason game to the game of the week, essentially, on a Monday night uh, to really open up the season and get things rolling here.
0: Yeah, that Monday night, Frank, is going to be massive. I think it's the hottest ticket in town, really, when you think about uh, opening up the regular season on Monday night football in the Legion Stadium. Uh, It doesn't get any better than that. So. You know, playing in that stadium last year without fans, I think the fellows, the players got used to it. Uh, They had fans for, like, a workout uh, a week ago, a couple weeks ago. And then, you know, you think about that, okay, we play a preseason game. A lot of starters weren't playing, but yet they could take it all in. I think you take in the volume level, uh, Derek Carr probably took in how loud it was going to get. Um, And then certainly defensively, uh, egging on the crowd to get loud when they were out there on the field. Uh, I thought the crowd and and Raider Nation responded perfectly. So you get a feel for that, but I I know the fellas, they can't wait to tee it up uh, on Monday night against the Ravens, though.
1: How about Carlos Santana, Pritch? Let's talk a little bit about that, huh? Oh,
0: man, right? (laughs) How about that? You know, I I saw him at the joint a long time ago, a long time ago. And, uh, yeah, he's just a legend. Big Raiders fan, I, I, I perhaps I guess so. Uh, all that's the thing about Vegas, man. We're going to see all the celebrities coming out, right, for football games.
1: Yeah, it's funny, and that's what Mark Davis had said. He goes, you know, he called in basically personal favors. You know, Carl Santana, a longtime friend of his, uh, you know, a Raider fan going back to Oakland, Uh, Judith Hill. He said, you know, basically she brought tears to his eyes, you know, with the ribbon-cutting ceremony. And then Marie Osmond being a longtime friend of Mark's as well, too. So, yeah, Yeah. he's tapping into his Rolodex. And, you know, like we talked about earlier as well, too, just, you know, you're going to have this type of entertainment, I think, doing a lot of national anthems and a lot of – um, you know, signature performances. Now, obviously, you can't have you know these these halftime shows like you have at the Super Bowl and that sort of thing. So, but it'll be interesting to see what the Raiders do for half times. And, and it was kind of cool where they have that little area, you know, there by the flame there on the concourse where you can have bands and have entertainment. And it did it did seem like a lot of fans were you know taking in the entire Allegiant Stadium experience, which you know rightfully so.
0: Yeah, I think what adds to the value of the Raiders being here and playing games on Sunday or Monday or you know even Thursday, or whatever, but uh, is that Vegas people come to Vegas for the entire weekend. So I can see a whole bunch of pregame um, kind of concerts, a pregame kind of entertainment around around Vegas around Legion Stadium, but then also postgame stuff. You know, T.C. They got a they got a club a Legion Stadium. So, I mean, post-game celebrations could be off the chain.
1: That's true. That's true. Mike Pritchard joins us, Raider Nation Radio, and also VEASAN. And I've been covering the NFL and a former player, of course, uh, in a Las Vegas native. Mike, let's talk a little bit about the Raiders and what we saw Saturday night. Now, this is not a good gauge, obviously, because it was just backups versus backups on the Raiders' side and the Seahawks' size. Uh you know, there were no relevant starters really at the skill position. I know you saw some O line guys, some D line guys that that got some reps. But what were your major takeaways from the Raiders' performance on Saturday night?
0: I think the major takeaway for people should be the competitiveness that the Raiders played with, uh, and and you know that's a culture thing, that's a message thing from coaches. Uh, can you get guys who who know that this game doesn't mean anything, but can you get guys inspired and? And can you get them playing at a high level? And, and I thought for whoever was out there for however long they were out there for the Raiders, uh, the coaches got that uh, and then some. You know, the execution wasn't that crisp. There was mistakes, some surprises too. But all in all, I, I think there was some people. like running back Regus, I mean, he made an impression. Uh, if I was Jalen Richard, I'd be a little bit nervous right now. Um, but all in all I, I think it was to be expected. First preseason game. We had we didn't have preseason last year. Uh but I, I really was impressed by the uh the competitive level, the competitive nature of the entire roster for the Raiders.
2: Mike, you mentioned that there was no preseason last year, and this year, of course, there's only three games instead of four with the extra-regular season game. What do you expect to see in the final two preseason games, both of them on the road, where we see some more starters get in? Because a lot of teams have said that, you know, like certain players, they're not taking a snap the entire preseason. What do you think the Raiders' game plan is going forward to get ready for that opening game on Monday night?
0: You know, it it's interesting because they got first cut Tomorrow, I think they got to be down to eighty-five players, so they're going to cut five guys, right? Uh, and then the Raiders—they have joint practices for the Rams. And what I've been hearing is that the coaches all across the league—they really got to put stock into the joint practices more so than preseason games, because they would rather not play starters in a preseason because of injuries. Now, the situation with that gets dicey to me, though, because you, you don't want to hurt your backups either. Uh, and But your backups might be playing a lot of football. So I, I think from the starter standpoint, it's going to be management. We've got to get these guys a regular season and, and healthy as possible. But when it comes to the backups, they're going to look to get those guys ready and hopefully avoid injury. But I, I think the, the, the emphasis will be put on the joint workouts because that's happening across the league.
1: Mike, what do you think about that? The the joint practices when you're going to sit there and, and play a team a few days later. Uh, we're seeing more and more of that, and you know we got that uh, you know happening this coming week here as well too. The Thursday night game, the Patriots and the Eagles, uh, they've got joint practices, and then they're going to face each other on Thursday night. You mentioned the Raiders and the Rams going through that same thing. Did you enjoy that as a player? Did you get a chance to experience much of that? Because you know right now it seems that is more of an avant-garde thing.
0: Right, um, I, I think there's two sides to it. So, for instance, when I was playing, we had two days, and we looked forward to seeing another jersey because there would be hell week, and then there would be another week of two days, and then I mean, you wouldn't play a preseason games for a while, and, and but you looked forward to playing those preseason games because you knew two days were coming to an end. Uh, they wanted to get you ready. They wanted to make sure that you were going to be healthy for those games. Now, with no tour days and you only have one practice, uh, I I think the coaches and players really look forward to the joint practices because of the competitive situation. They're scripted, you you know what's going to happen. And then when you get into the game, you know, you have that situation of which, okay, we don't need to see our starters. Uh, We don't need to see them in game situations because we saw that during joint practices. So, you can't there's value to it, and I think teams are getting a lot out of it because teams nowadays, guys, with the money that they're paying quarterbacks, $40 million a year, defensive linemen, offensive linemen, they want those guys healthy for the regular season and not banged up, not bruised up during the preseason.
2: Is there also an advantage to the joint practices from the fact that it's not a preseason game, so you can maybe do a little bit more coaching if a mistake is made, a coach can call somebody over in that. It's not like a game where you have the TV commercials and everything else going on. It's It's more of a coaching session, but it's just with another squad, so you kind of get that in-game feel at the same time as a practice feel. Yeah,
0: Frank, I think... You know, when you're evaluating your own guys and what they're capable of, what they can do, put in certain situations, you might have somebody that you're familiar with. So, how do you evaluate it? So, for instance, you, you got Clee Farrell or Max Crosby lined up against Alex Leatherwood. Okay, you know what Clee and you know what Max are capable of, but then when you're in joint practices and you got Alex Leatherwood going up against uh, Leonard Floyd or somebody like that, now you're like, okay, now we're going to find out what Alex Leatherwood can do, right? So that, that's a benefit, too. And, and same thing for Alex Leatherwood as a young player to learn uh, somebody else and to see somebody else and how they attack you. Uh, that's so valuable. So if you're going to have one a day, there's a ton of value from an evaluation standpoint for the coaches uh, having these joint practices out there.
1: All right, we know 17 regular season games, only three preseason games that we're talking about here, Pritch, and there's kind of two schools of thoughts, and I think different teams, different coaches are going to approach this uh, a different way. Traditionally, when you had the four preseason games, everybody said, hey, our third game is a dress rehearsal, and game four, basically starters are not going to probably play much at all, and that's battling for the last couple roster spots, special teams, and that sort of thing. Do you think the Raiders are going to handle this like they traditionally would or and and maybe take, say, game number two as kind of a dress rehearsal and then game number three kind of lay low? Or, since you do have that bye week in week mm-hmm. number four, are teams going to say, hey, we're going to go like we've always done for all these years and basically ease our guys in week two and then that third and final preseason game, that's a dress rehearsal since you have the bye week. Which way... Are the Raiders going to go?
0: It gets interesting, uh, TC, because they didn't have preseason last year. And look, yeah. they got off to a 6-3 start, right? Um, I, I talked to a number of players, current and former players, and, and a lot of current players, they would not like to play in preseason. They are like, I can get myself ready to play regular season football. I just need to survive. I need to avoid injury. Injury. Uh, and we don't need a dress rehearsal i mean we we kind of go over situations all the time anyway i mean do we really need to learn how to come out of the locker room into the third quarter i mean as long as we're in shape at least that's been the attitude i've heard so i don't know i think some teams are going to put an onus and an emphasis on the second preseason game and then uh, some teams are not i think for the raiders they're really going to evaluate and look at guys in these joint practices. And if they need to carry that over to the preseason game, they will. But I, I wouldn't expect a lot of starters, as of today, Monday, I would not expect a lot of starters playing on a, in the preseason game Saturday against the Rams. Because the Rams, they have already announced they're not playing their starters either.
1: How much do you think we see Derek Carr in this preseason?
0: Well, he needs some work in a game. Um, with the young players, the young running uh, receivers. Uh, they need some timing. He needs some communication down with uh, Andre Danes. And, you know, they, they need to go through that. So we we could perhaps see him in a series uh, or two, but, but I, I'd be shocked if they put up more plays out there in this preseason game coming up.
2: When you're talking about some of the teams saying that they're not going to play people, and I believe the Rams are on record as saying that they're not going to have Stafford take a snap the entire preseason. How do they get him that game speed and everything else? I know he's a veteran, but he's with a new club. Are they just counting on using those joint practices to do that kind of stuff to get him a little bit of game speed without actually being a so-called technical game?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's it, Frank. They're going to play. Those guys are more competitive situations in, in these joint practices. And I don't think they're open to fans anymore. I think just media uh, is going to be allowed into these joint practices. So all of a sudden, uh, you have coaches that will turn it up. And then these coaches in joint practices, they'll meet with each other, say, look, what do you guys want to look, work on? What do you guys want to see? And, okay, maybe we can give you a show. Uh, but, you know, in joint practices, too, it, it'll be interesting to see if you go one-on-one. I mean, some drills, you'll go one-on-ones, individuals. But in team drills, that gets interesting because of the competitive level. All of a sudden, you're going one against one, and uh, you want to get after it a little bit. But then at the same time, you kind of want to avoid that injury, too. So uh, I, I think for Stafford on that side, they're going to put, like I said, the emphasis on joint practices and uh, roll the dice when, when they tee it up the real.
1: All right, Mike Pritchard joins us. You can listen to Mike every morning, 7 to 10 a.m., Raider Nation Radio, and also on VEASAN. He's there from uh, 12 to 2. Mike, let's talk a little bit about some of these quarterback battles. Really don't have one here in Vegas. We understand that. But in your old stomping grounds, I think you've got a legitimate one, right, in Denver with uh, Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater. Talk a little bit about what Vic Fangio is going to do. And, again, Raider fans should be a little bit interested, uh, you know, what's going on with the Broncos as well.
0: Yeah, they should. That's a, that's a pretty decent roster they have uh, over there in, in Denver um, outside of the quarterback situation. Now, the quarterback situation, to me, it, it probably is going to be Drew Locke, uh, but I think the Broncos are trying to make sure that he's ready for that because he's an entitled kid, uh, and he's got to earn something, and, and the Broncos are trying to make him earn the starting quarterback position, but people I talked to, they want him to become the starting quarterback. It's just up to up to him whether or not he can be consistent enough and do it, and hold on to the job. If not, they won't hesitate going to Teddy Bridgewater because they they really feel like he's more than capable of coming in and leading the offense. But they like the playmaking ability and the upside of Drew Lock. It's just can Drew Lock get over being an entitled player, an entitled person? Uh, and step it up, and step up his game, and become a starting quarterback.
1: You know, Teddy Bridgewater won over a lot of people the way he played in New Orleans. You know, when he took over for Drew Brees there. I mean, the guy went five right. and zero. Uh, well, who do you think is the better quarterback right now? And, and I'm going to have you put the the John Elway uh, hat on there. Who should be starting over there?
0: I, I like Drew Locke in his arm. I just don't like Drew Locke in his head right. uh, because, like I said, he's an entitled player. And, you know, he's been given everything that he's received so far. But the Broncos this year are making him earn it. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater, he's been around the block, man. I, I wouldn't hesitate to put him in either. You know, if you're the Saints and you have Damon Winston and Taysom Hill going at it, you probably wish, at least Sean Payton probably wishes, he still had Teddy Bridgewater.
2: Yeah, you just gave me some nasty flashbacks to a Jay Cutler with the Bears liking somebody's arm and not their head in a game. So, uh.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
2: But, yep. but <laughs> when it comes to the preseason and these practices and that are they more for the players or are they more for the coaches to just try to figure out who those other guys are going to be that are on the taxi squad and for their depth charts and everything else or you know maybe the reserve players out there? Obviously, every player is trying to impress the coaches and find their way on the roster, but it almost mm-hmm. seems like it's really just about the coaches getting a chance to evaluate to fill those final roster spots because we all know going into the season most of the spots are pretty much already taken up. They know who it's going to be there, and, uh, you know, that's why they get guaranteed contracts.
0: Right, right. I, I think, and that's the dirty secret, really, Frank, um, to justify preseason football, you know, the league would promote, oh, my God, you know, jobs are on the line, and guys are fighting for jobs. So they wanted people to go watch those games and be interested in there. But, the secret is, or reality is, is that, look, these teams know who their 45 are going to be. It, it just, there might be four, maybe five jobs left for grabs, but the majority of the jobs are, are already taken, uh, and, and teams know what's going to happen, teams know what they're going to do. Uh, but, you know, you have these situations. I mentioned Regus, the running back. There's a situation with the Raiders that they don't want to pay Jalen Richard more than they pay in their starting running backs. And so, uh, you know, there might be a situation where he could win that third running back job, but he also has to be well on special teams. And, and I think that's the case for a lot of guys. So uh, there's an evaluation, but, but with nobody really playing in preseason the way that they used to with no more two-a-days the way that they used to have it uh, the the rosters are pretty much set
1: right now. All right, Pritch, one more for you. Talking about the quarterbacks, let's go to New England. Bill Belichick, he's mum's the word over there, man. Cam Newton, Mac Jones, who starts Week One?
0: I think it's Mac. I, that, they're two totally different uh, offenses with Cam. Which is Mac spelled backwards, by the way. <laughs> True. Uh, <laughs> Very nice.
1: Very nice. You did some homework right? on that one, man.
0: <laughs> yeah, I did. I did. I've been saying that on Beaston all the time. It's really crazy how Cam and Mac and all this stuff. But, um, no, I, I, they're just, I mean, you are, you are handcuffed as an offense with Cam Newton out there. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if Mac is a quarterback and Cam is on his field and they really start to use him as a runner. Because he's an opposing runner. He's 6'5", 250. Uh, But as far as a passer, he's a thrower of the football these days, more so than a passer. The passer for them is Matt Jones.
1: Mike Pritchard, you can catch him. Raider Nation Radio, also on VEASAN. We appreciate, as always, my man, doing a fantastic job. We look forward to spending some time with you. And hopefully you can uh, carve out some time so we can get you over to the Cosmopolitan for some uh, best bets as we normally do. Yeah, and some grub, and some food. Automatic, man. <laughs> take your pick: the burgers, the chicken, whatever you want, man. All right? The steak. I love that place. Yeah, I know. I love it over there. So, All right. Yeah, absolutely. Thank it, you. Take care, brother. Appreciate you. All right. Okay. There he is, Mike Pritchard. Uh, just great friend, great former colleague of ours, and uh, we will still be able to to talk with him and uh, get him over to the Cosmopolitan Fridays, uh, participating in the best bets. Yeah, always good stuff.
2: Yeah, and it's interesting, too, how the fates have things go in the professional sports world. I'm sure that when Mike was playing, that he never envisioned himself covering the Raiders and being part of the Raider Nation radio and all the stuff yeah. like that, because they were pretty much the enemy. Yes. But then you find out, you know what, and and this is one thing that I, I think a lot of people still don't really get. Fans are the fan base because they cheer for the team this and that. When you're a player or something like that, a lot of times you're cheering for the guy that's signing your paycheck. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just reality.
1: That's 100% the case. there's no doubt about that. Yeah, you know, it's a business. It's strictly a business and there is very little allegiance. And I think fans are starting to realize that more and more now that you know, it's 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 tough. Right.
2: Very you know? little allegiance, but a big allegiant stadium to go to now. This is true. <laughs> All right. Yeah, they passed the test for the most part. You know, pretty good.
1: Like, you know, some parking things. That's going to be an issue, just like we have it at T-Mobile. And, again, nothing disparaging. It it just takes time. Look how long it took them to get it right at the speedway out there. There you go. I mean, when you're trying to fit 65,000 people in to basically an area that was not constructed for that, I mean, you got a lot of, you know, narrow surface streets around there. So, again, when you are planning to go to the game uh try to do the ride share try to do something like that because uh you know parking is very very tough to come by and uh you got to go early you got to go early Uh, take it from me (laughs) i i learned that saturday night
2: and if you don't go early make sure you bring your uh the thing that counts your steps because you're probably going to have a good day this is true
1: great (laughs) exercise All all right
2: and uh tomorrow part of our
1: terrible tuesday we'll talk about Some of the concession items, not necessarily Allegiant Stadium, but some of these other stadiums as well, too. Like SoFi Stadium, the reviews haven't been so good for uh, fights in the stands or the concession stand uh, fair as well. So SoFi is not so fine? I don't think so. I don't think so. All right. Appreciate Mike Pritchard for joining us. Come back next hour. You're going to hear from Mark Davis, Asia Wilson, Chelsea Gray, the Aces, the Raiders, Big Weekend. T.C. Martin, Ballpark Frank, on this magnificent Monday.